scripture passage today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. But before, we, before I read those, let's pray that um, God would enlighten our hearts. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for your living word. Help us, your children, to receive it with gladness. Increase our understanding, and let this word reside in us and sustain us and equip us for real living. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. What we're doing is looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer and then going around the rest of Matthew to understand as best we can with our minds and emotions, with our very body and being, who Jesus is. Because that's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. And as we go through the beautiful ordering of the Lord's Prayer that is both a good guide to our prayers and a good guide to life, then we look back at the rest of Matthew and Connect dots, as it were, about his teachings, about relating to him and relating to one another. And as we pray for forgiveness, which is the focus this morning, we have a lot to chew on. Um, As best I can summarize it, we are born into a world that is polluted. It is a good and noble and beautiful world. The Lord called it good. We should not call it something else. And yet, when sin entered it, God's shalom was violated in all sorts of ways and places and nooks and crannies. And we contribute to that. We contribute to the pollution. We have harmed people accidentally and on purpose. We have missed opportunities to do love, justice, and peace. And when that happens, we're not suddenly not saved. It's very important. As a kid, I misunderstood this. I used to fly a lot as a kid, and I remember I'd fly from uh, Tulsa to Denver because my parents lived in different states. And I was like, all right, we're at about 30,000 feet. If the plane crashes, I got to wait. It'll take like three or four minutes, and I got to wait until the last 30 seconds, and then I'll confess my sins, and then I'll get into heaven, and it'll be okay. I thought this somewhat regularly, and I wondered if I could do it, right? Like, if I'm off for 30 seconds, could I manage to not sin for 30 seconds and thereby be okay? That is not what confession is about. Our initial confession that Jesus is Lord is when we're saved, and that can never be taken away from you because of the one who gave it to you. We confess because we have a sense that something's off. Our good heart, the heart that Jesus has given us when he came into our spirit, tells us something is off with us. And when we confess to God, we are reconnecting ourself with him. That's the beauty of confession. Sometimes when pastors talk about forgiveness, they get pretty emotional 
They can get pretty loud. They can kind of cast the net really widely, and they're oftentimes trying to help you have an emotional experience with it. And um, most of you know that's not me. Most of you probably can tell I hated that as a kid. I don't think it's profoundly helpful to you. It might be helpful in the moment because your emotions are part of who you are, but I don't think it's um, helpful. And one of the reasons is if we get really emotionally stirred up about confession, we might confess things that aren't sins. It's actually pretty important that we learn not to say we're sorry when we didn't harm anyone. And we'll talk about intent later because intent matters. You are not supposed to confess your limits. You can't know more than you know in this moment. There are some things that you don't know that someone's going to ask you to know later. And when you get to that margin, you don't need to say you're sorry. There's a small amount of things in this world that you can fix and heal and serve, but you can't fix very much. And you do not need to confess things you can't fix that you have no power to. You can't be in more than one place at one time. Has anyone ever expressed to you they were sad that you didn't make it to something? Some meeting or event, some celebration or perhaps a time of grief. But it's because you literally were somewhere else. You don't need to apologize for that. You don't need to confess. You could be sad with them, but we don't need to confess our limits. We have plenty of actual sin to confess. And we'll talk about this a little bit more this week and especially next week, but God's guiding us to pray for forgiveness is not only good in resetting our minds and hearts and being with Him, it's also a guide to life where we learn to apologize, to ask for forgiveness, and then to change. The biblical word for that is repent. Sin is, is all around, and it is in us, but this is so important. It is not the deepest thing about you. The deepest thing about you is that you're made in God's image. If you're a Christian, the deepest thing about you is the new heart that he has given you, which is so important because then when we confess, it's so much easier to understand that this is not a move of shame. God gives us shame at times to connect us to the opportunity to confess, but he doesn't want us overwhelmed with it. When we know it's not the deepest thing about us, we're freed from our disproportionate emotions about these things. In Matthew chapter 9, there's a story, perhaps you've heard. Matthew writes it this way, And getting into a boat, he, this is Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming, both leading people away from God and claiming to be God is what they were getting at. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Which is a terrific summary by Jesus of why he performed many of his miracles. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. 
lot is happening here. One of the interesting things, I think, is Jesus does not address whether this man's paralysis had anything to do with his sin. And some of us are like, well, that's not the case because the mind and body are separate. And that's something that's very influential in Western culture is the Greek and, to, I think in a different way, Roman belief that the mind and the body are separate things. And so sin is mostly maybe a, a matter of the body and our mind is different. And the, the Bible not only doesn't address that directly, it just blows right past it and says, no, these things exist all through us. In John chapter 9, there's a man who was born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus, who was it, this man or his parents that sinned that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus says, it was neither this man nor his parents. This happened so that I may be glorified. But here, Jesus doesn't say anything like that. Why? We don't know, but I do know this. He's indirectly teaching us that sin is is an integrated part of our being. Through our own sin and even when others sin against us, we are ingesting some of the pollution of the evil one and of the world, which is why confession is so important. To expel it, to be cleansed from it. I'm making my way through a book very slowly because of my story called The Body Keeps the Score. And in it, with a lot of exceptionally compelling data, we learn that our experiences actually live in our body, which the scriptures affirm over and over again that you are not a mind and a body and a spirit. All of these things are integrated within you, and Jesus is teaching that, and he's also teaching that the primary benefit of the gospel is to be forgiven of sin and reset with God. The first funeral um, that I ever presided over, one of the people speaking at it, Reference the myth of Sisyphus. Remember the myth of Sisyphus, the man who was condemned to push a rock up a hill for his entire life? And the person who was giving this family eulogy said, because he is philosophically intelligent, he said, our only hope is to believe that Sisyphus is happy. God doesn't exist, and sin is just a construct of the mind. We look at the myth of Sisyphus and believe that's all there is to life is to learn to be happy pushing a rock up a mountain. For Christians, we let go of the weight, the existence of our humanity in part through the practice of confession to God. That is not joy. We pray for forgiveness of debts, and those debts are first to God. And if you believe me and you sin against somebody today, I want to encourage you not to confess to God in front of the person that you sin against. I want you to first maybe tell them that you're sorry. I don't think it would go well if you started praying after you realized you'd said something harmful to them. I delivered that joke a lot better in the first service than the second service. The reason our debts are first to him And the reason Jesus orders the prayer this way is because he is holy. And when we violate his shalom, when we harm, whether on purpose or accidentally, they're different, but both are debts that we incur first to God and then to your neighbor because your neighbor is made in the image of God. So when you sin against them, you are violating the image of God in them. And you also 
are made in the image of God. And so you're violating your own humanity. It's even... I don't think it's too strong to say that uh, when we sin, and it, it disintegrates part of our humanity. And the reason I think that's not too strong a language is because we serve a Lord who raises from the dead and gives us back those pieces of our humanity through the practices of faith. In this particular case, confession. How big is our debt? How large is it? Hold that question as I read from Matthew 18. Then Peter came up to him, this is in verse 21, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? A lot of scholars think Peter was pretty proud of himself because he had primarily been taught three times. And so we're like, yeah, get it. I don't pick on Peter. I can't stand when pastors do that. We would have missed so much more from Jesus than he did. And he's learning. He's learning that releasing other people from their debts is part of the with God life. And so instead of saying three, which is probably what he was taught, he says seven. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's call that $6 billion, roughly what it would be today. And since he, could not pay his ma- since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. A Jewish listener, this is probably the second time that they laughed. The first time that they would laugh, both uncomfortably and because of how much Jesus was exaggerating. First time they would have laughed would have been at the $6 billion. The second time was, I pay it back, I promise. Right? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, about $12,000. Not an insignificant amount, but compared with $6 billion, And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, his, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a chilling parable. We will talk more about forgive those who sin against us next week. We need to understand what Jesus is getting at when he talks about forgiveness and what he's not getting at. I can almost guarantee that someone in your life has told you to forgive someone and what they actually mean is far more than what Jesus is talking about with forgiveness. He's simply saying we should release people of their debts to us and not retaliate, which is a solid theme throughout the book of Matthew and the scriptures. But if the question is how large is our debt, Jesus goes to incredible, borderline absurd lengths to get our attention to understand how large our debt is before God. This is almost certainly a pagan system, right? This is not the Jewish system that you sell someone to slavery if they owe you. So the listeners would immediately be thinking of a country 
although six billion is probably larger than the GDP of Egypt at the time, which was the wealthiest country that most of the listeners would have been thinking about. So Jesus is pushing the envelopes of their very imagination to help them see how large of a debt. I grew up saying uh, trespasses instead of debts in the Lord's Prayer. I forget this all the time, and then I'll be doing a funeral or I'll be attending a church somewhere else, and some of the people say sins, and that's because when Jesus reteaches the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, he says sins, then he says debts. I like all three of them because it reminds us that intent does matter, and intent guides us back into relationship in terms of how to restore the relationship, right? If you harm your child on purpose... That's a different wound than if you harm them on accident. They're still wounded, though. And as their parent, you need to make restoration with them. But there's a difference. And it's part of the reason I am really okay with interchanging debts and sins and trespasses. We have harmed people accidentally. And the relationship requires a different kind of restoration than when, in anger or fatigue, we harm on purpose. We pray for forgiveness of debts which heals and releases us. In 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. That word is the, uh, the English, it's katharizo, the English word catharsis, releases us from the sense that something's wrong between us and God, which is so important to our humanity. And you know, this wasn't a virtue in the first century. Neither the Greeks nor the Romans thought that forgiveness was a virtue of God or of how to treat one another. Aristotle, and I didn't read a lot on this, I'll be brief, but Aristotle gets closest to it, talking about what we need is more information, and sometimes sin is excusable. That's the closest the Greeks get to believing that releasing another from retaliating against them is a virtue. And this is where the, the, this is not new to people of God. Jews teaching on forgiveness is, this is very in line with Jewish teaching on it, except the beginning and ending of it being with Jesus himself. Jewish listeners would not have been surprised. But those that are looking on and listening in, many Gentiles, would not have thought of this as a virtue. And I think what happens as we grow up, as we learn to confess easily to God, and not quite as easily, but with one another, over time, our sin will bother us more and we'll deal with it quicker. Other people's sin will bother us less because we're in regular confession to God. And it will become more and more difficult to offend us if it's not a matter of the intellect, just learning how to sin and not sin, if it's beyond that, if the world is as polluted by sin as the scriptures say, then we're going to be more bothered by our sin and we're going to confess and repent quickly. We're going to be less bothered and offended by others because we believe that the world is indeed under a curse. And that catharsis means that we'll enjoy the cleansing, First John and Peter would say healed in First Peter chapter 2, frees us to enjoy the good that is here. 
couple of weeks ago, I was, in, uh, I was on Longboat Key in Florida, and uh, I made the guys I was studying with go out to the beach for a sunset. Have you ever gone for a sunrise or a sunset and there are no clouds? And you're like, this is not as colorful as I wanted it to be. It was perfect. And that's, my, that's one of my better photos. A lot of you are like, that's not a very good photo. You're right. But for me, it's not bad. When we learn to confess and release to God, he frees us to enjoy his good gifts in the world. Because ourselves are not burdened by the times we harmed intentionally or the times we harmed accidentally or the ways that we're off relationally. We pray for forgiveness of debts which heals and releases us and guides us in life. It's essential to our life with God because we long to sense our connection with him, which is a matter of your entire being. And he is holy, and we are not, and we can tell. It's essential to our life with our neighbors because they're made in the image of God, and so are we. So we trust God to both confess to him and then to learn how to confess and then repent to them. And it's essential to our own self because you are made in his image and yet the pollution of the world, the the curse affects us. Other people sin against us and we release that. We'll talk more about that next week. We sin and we need to release that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter who had taken in the Sermon on the Mount and understood it was reminding these churches that we do not pay back. Instead, we release. Not because justice doesn't need to be done, but because it is not ours to accomplish. He says it this way in chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who just judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And in prayer, we drink in that healing. And in confession, we reject the pollution that would distract us from it. Receive the strength of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you and ask that you help us to trust you, even with our sins that we confess. We thank you for the ordering of this prayer. We thank you for time and space to confess next to one another and remember that we're not alone in releasing our sins to you. Jesus, we praise you for the many times that you proved your power over sin and disease and the curse and death, even as you were teaching us to come to you for forgiveness. Holy Spirit, guide us in our life with you this day and this week. that We might live the lives of life you freed us into through your work. Amen.